There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Over the North Atlantic, toward the east coast of the United States. On this episode of Inside Jobs, Brian, Jean, and Lee investigate the Berlin Wall. The division of Berlin by an imposing and deadly wall gave rise to a host of secret plots to escape communist oppression and reunite loved ones. Joining me to discuss the Berlin Wall are civilian investigator Eugene Freiheit O'Neill eh? and conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Willkommen. Willkommen. Uh, I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Brian, you know, uh, I feel like your intros are getting better with each passing week. I like to think that each time one of us suggests a topic or a listener suggests a topic, you have a giant file drawer uh, <laughs> in a cabinet in the archives, and you just like open it up and you flip to the Berlin section and pull out Berlin Wall, and you have everything pre-written for every conspiracy or political <laughs> espionage ever. I do. I have a, a Rolodex, you know, old school Rolodex that is actually in a circle that I just flip through when I'm looking for these intros. Right. And then I have a separate Rolodex of Gene nicknames. <laughs> and then you read all of the uh, materials on a microfiche in your microfiche room in the, uh, <laughs> in the lane cave. Yeah, I have to have a steady supply of nickels to keep the, the microfiche going. <laughs> you charge yourself nickels to use your own microfiche? I don't know why I did that. I should have set it up to be free. It's one of those ironic affectations. Yeah. Like a, you already have a beard, so you're like, I got to move on to something else. Most <laughs> uh, kids dream of having their own Street Fighter II cabinet at their house and making a business out of it as all the kids <laughs> pump orders into it. Brian's dream was kids lining down the block to use his microfiche machine. <laughs> It's a uh, branded Neo Geo too. I was like, yeah. I was like the Encyclopedia Brown of microfiche crimes. <laughs> <laughs> what did Bugs Meanie do in this newspaper from 1937? <laughs> um, so people might uh, notice that there is a uh, we have a little bit of a different sound this week, and it is because my two illustrious co-hosts have uh, sort of interesting setups going on. Lee, you are in the process of moving, so why don't you describe to the audience uh, where you are currently located? I'm literally trapped in the closet looking at the man in the mirror. No need to elaborate on that. (laughs) Gene, and you have suffered a medical catastrophe. I don't know if it's a medical catastrophe, but uh, I have... Every so often I throw my back out, and this is the... Probably it's that time of year when I do it. So I am lying flat on my back right now, which is why it sounds like I'm very far away from my microphone. That happens to you like what? Like twice, two or three times a year? Once or twice a year, yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time it happened, uh, it resulted in you getting dismissed from a very high-profile movie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I was a PA on, uh, for Avatar. And when I, it was known I, as like the James Cameron sci-fi project or yeah, something like that. Yeah, right. This was before it had a title. And... <laughs> That's when everyone thought it was just one of his marriages. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and I well, threw my back out uh, just doing insane uh, heavy labor for $100 a day, and they fired me <laughs> when I couldn't really work anymore. Yeah, it was the first... Sorry, it was the first time you had a job that you had to do in 3D, and that really hurt your body. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Did you get, ever get to wear a motion capture suit while you were working on that movie? Yeah, that's how I did it. <laughs> Getting into <laughs> that skin tight uh, latex was <laughs> yeah. really difficult. Um, uh. Well, guys, I'm very glad that despite all of these encroachments on your comfort, uh, you've been able to join me here today. Because we are talking about a very interesting topic. Yes. And that is the Berlin Wall and the web of intrigue and civilian bravery uh, and escape that arose because of the division of the capital city in Germany. Indeed. You know, Gene was asking, so, you know, what's the what's the conspiracy behind the Berlin Wall? And, you know, as you said, it's it's a web. It's it's a thousand different. It's thousands of different little conspiracies um, from, you know, the Stasi secret police and the CIA staring at each other uh, over the wall and under the wall to all of the families and lovers and friends who uh, succeeded and failed and died, uh, you know, crossing this this wall that was the symbol of Soviet and uh uh, communist oppression. Um, yeah. You know, we, we we've danced around and talked a lot a lot about uh, Cold War issues, and there was never a more stark reminder of the Iron Curtain than the Berlin Wall itself. And as it stood for 28 years, it, it symbolized the, the the cultural and political divisions of the Western world. Now, to talk about the story of the Berlin Wall and the subsequent stories that sort of cascade out from it. We have to go to the beginning, and the beginning in this case is January Don't 30th, 1933. <laughs> oh, I guess you're actually, I mean, this does go back to, to World War II. Technically, if World War II had not started uh, on that date, then we would not have had the Berlin Wall, because uh, after the Russians took Berlin in, uh, I guess, what was it, 45, 45. Brian? The, uh, uh, the, yeah, the, the war in Europe really ended when uh, the Soviets, uh, you know, surrounded Berlin, pummeled it, and Hitler eventually committed suicide. Uh, Karl Dönitz, the um, chancellor who took over for Hitler, um, surrendered to the Soviet Union after attempting to only uh, uh, surrender to the Americans, or sorry, the Western allies. Uh, that was rejected. Uh, as the peace terms ha that had been predecided by the Allies in a previous meeting rejected the ability of the Germans to just surrender to one side, uh, and so when the Soviets sort of closed in on them, they they surrendered to the Allies unconditionally, and um, that is really where the uh, beginning of a post-war Europe was allowed to begin. Right. Minor correction. Hitler was actually killed by B.J. Blackowitz at the last level of the fourth episode of Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was thinking about something else. <laughs> yeah, you were thinking about that. Uh, Blackowitz. Yeah, that was the name of the hero of uh, Wolfenstein 3D. I thought uh, you were going to say he was actually killed by Eric Roth in that Paris movie theater in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> I thought uh, you were going to say he was killed by Eric Harris in his Doom level. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love Eric yes. Harris' Doom Level <laughs> jokes. 
um, but yes, the uh, the uh, the Allies had been meeting in the lead up to the invasion of Germany and the uh, capitulation of the Nazi Germany, and they had been trying to decide how they were going to really create a, a post-war economy that could go back to some level of normalcy. They knew that they didn't want to have some sort of um, status quo antebellum. Uh, they didn't want to sit this, uh, they didn't want to reinstate the status quo uh, that had existed before the war because, as a for instance, uh, Stalin and the Soviet Union were very worried that Germany would be able to, you know, get back to economic and uh, militarized power and invade them again. And the both sides, the Soviet Union and the Americans, realized that this was going to be a very important location in the upcoming Cold War. Now, mm -hmm. at this point, nobody knew that it was going to be a Cold War. Uh, people like, uh, for instance, uh, Patton, and yeah, if Churchill, he had his brothers, they would have just turned their tanks around and, and kept the war going and, between the Russians. Yeah, and, and just invaded the Soviet Union. Um, but they knew that it was going to be important territory in the upcoming conflict, whatever uh, manifestation that conflict took. And so right. it was decided to separate Germany between the Allied powers. So, Lee, do you want to sort of talk about that separation? Sure. It was separated into four sections. Uh, the Russians had a, a, a very large chunk, and then the rest was divided between the Americans, the French, because they did so much to win World War II, and the, <laughs> the English. Um, and, it, and it kind of came down to a different sort of political and economic outlook as to what the capture of Berlin meant. You know, Stalin and the Russians saw it as a spoil of war. Hey, we, we took this capital. We're going to take all of the manufacturing infrastructure all of the machinery uh out bring it back to russia and basically just you know make this a a, a command post in our uh our you know political yoke uh whereas the americans uh under the monroe doctrine actually wanted to help rebuild and stabilize the economy and as you said bring it back to economic normalcy which of course for germany so we could uh, sell them a bunch of bullshit <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah uh, just as a correction it's not the monroe doctrine that it was uh it was executed under it was the marshall plan marshall plan um, right both start with m's uh, Monroe yes. Doctrine was where every president gets to fuck Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though it was part of the Constitution since day one and George Washington was like, Marilyn Monroe, who the fuck is this? In the <laughs> 50s, when it finally became a reality, the presidents were really glad to have it. Yeah, yeah. Benjamin Franklin was like, George, just trust me. She's going to be hot because he had that time machine that he invented with a kite. Yeah. So the Marshall Plan was an idea for uh, um, uh, it was instituted by Secretary of State uh, Marshall. And it was an idea to rebuild the economies of the West in order to to have trade partners. Marshall uh, McLuhan. They were gonna, Marshall McLuhan, indeed. No, that's not true at all. Uh, they were going to inject a lot of money as an investment into the re rebuilding of infrastructure the economic training of a lot of the you know uneducated or veterans of the war throughout Europe and this was going to eventually pay off in a way that it sort of did which is that you know Germany or at least West Germany was able to be uh, become one of the biggest powerhouses in manufacturing in the world and they were buying a lot of American material and and technology 
Um, David Hasselhoff, David Hasselhoff, action figures, copy of the soundtrack to Hedvig and the Angry Inch, you know, mm-hmm. really our, our major exports. Um, now, one one thing that's weird to understand about the division that happened is, uh, f- for the most part, when we're talking about allies, we're talking about the, or sorry, when we're talking about the Western allies, we're mostly talking about America. But uh, as Lisa, America said, has long been allied with itself since the <laughs> Civil War. But uh, Briti- British and the British and the French did certainly control uh, two other sectors in what were known as, you know, West Germany. Uh, and this is if you if you think of Germany uh, and you just sort of split it down the middle, uh, that is basically the division between East and West. The West was mm-hmm. controlled by, you know, the British and the French in the north and then the Americans in the south. Um, and then the whole East was controlled by the Soviet Union. This is immediately following World War II up through about 1949. But as part of this division, they also divided Berlin. Berlin is well within the eastern part of Germany, but it was also divided into an east and west. So you have this, uh, you know, Germany is divided east and west on its own, and then Berlin itself is divided between east and west. It's this and island of democracy in the middle of this Soviet-dominated in the middle of a, of a Red Sea. Um, yeah, the uh, this is very important for the story going forward. So it's important to understand that there are a number of weird regulations that the Allies have agreed to legally, in order to you know. Uh, enforce the idea that Western powers will be able to investigate or uh, inspect the eastern part of the city and eastern parts of uh, Germany, uh, as well as the Soviets being able to inspect the western parts of both Berlin and West Germany. So, go you show me yours, I'll show you mine. Yeah, yeah, basically. That's what um, was decided in the Potsdam uh, conference. Potsdam conference. Um, so, you have this divided country, this divided city. And, uh, you know, in in the background of everything else that is going on during the end of this war period, you know, the war is still going on in Japan and Asia. Uh, you have the Nuremberg trials going on. Uh, you have, you know, the death of Franklin Roosevelt and the sort of rise of Truman. But, it's uh, sweeps weeks. It's sweeps week, essentially. <laughs> it really gets heated up as, you know, Stalin tries to, you know, play some brinksmanship games with the West. And probably the most famous of which is when he closed off access to West Berlin to the Western powers. And this and is, this is, go ahead. This is uh, when, when the Berlin airdrop uh, happened. Airlift. Correct? Airlift, right. Yeah. and Operation uh, Dumbo Drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they called up Ray Liotta and they said... Listen, um, Stalin has closed off that access that the Western powers are supposed to have to Western West Berlin through East Germany. But uh, it's PG, so you can't swear. And and basically, Stalin was thinking that this was this is going to be a, a you know a good move. The the blockade prevented the West from accessing uh, West Berlin on via trains or via trucks uh through the ground routes basically and so you know this is the the late 40s uh and it is decided to institute an airlift planes all day long 
from the Western powers, all three of them, are sent over German airspace, well, East German airspace, and are landing in the Tempelhof Airport in every West minute, Berlin. right? Uh, it wasn't every minute, but it was a, an incredibly regularized uh, schedule. And so these planes are landing every, you know, some some very short amount of minutes, and they are basically supplying everything that that city will need. Uh, this lasts for almost an entire year before Stalin backs down and allows access to the Western powers. But it is a very scary moment where, you know, America and the West cannot lose face over being denied access to something that is legally theirs. Uh, and Yeah, they, they, they didn't can't... want to uh, lose face, which is why they instituted the uh, Berlin facelift as well. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ooh, right. boy. Let's, let's hope that's a high point in the jokes that we tell on this episode. <laughs> um, uh, but this is, this is probably the, the, one of the bigger flare-ups in, uh, in terms of how hot the Cold War got, especially in, in, in Europe during, uh, during this period of time. Um, the Americans in the West do not back down, and this airlift is considered, you know, a pretty risky move. Because uh, they didn't know if what if the Soviets started shooting down those planes, then it turns into a, a shooting war. And then suddenly you're using nuclear weapons, possibly you are invading eastern East Germany. It's a it's a very dangerous situation. And sort of everyone is holding their breath over uh, what what the result is going to be. Uh, it ended peacefully and the West was again able to access uh, Berlin and the huge cost of this airlift was reduced. But this wasn't a period, this wasn't, although this sort of failed in terms of what Stalin and the Soviets were trying to do in pushing their interests in Berlin, it, it didn't dissuade them from trying other methods. And so all throughout the 50s, um, they start to, you know, look for ways to gain inches in this really tense situation in Berlin. And so they order a bunch of dick lengthening pills. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like it when Gene is laying flat on his back. He thinks of more dick jokes. <laughs> um, but uh, but this is around the time that you start seeing uh, not necessarily a wall, but a border between East and West Berlin becoming more of a real thing. Yeah. It's highly guarded, and there are areas that are that are fenced off with uh, barbed wire. But it, you could still immigrate pretty easily to to the west through Berlin, and it became this area where a lot of people were leaving. And it resulted over the course of the the fifties uh, in incredible brain drain. So there's all of these individuals who were highly trained, you know, young professionals, doctors, lawyers, scientists. Just, uh, and sorry, just to to preempt the, the, the brain drain discussion, you also have to mm -hmm. understand that so many educated young men, basically the entire working population of Germany, uh, like 60% of it had died during the war. So right. Germany itself is already at a very low uh, percentage of available male workers. Trained uh, professionals. Trained and professionals. And the, so the then when this brain drain starts happening, sorry, go ahead. The ones who were were also trained at considerable expense by the the government 
uh, of, of East Germany. Um, and so when they started going over to the West to seek better opportunity, um, it really started to impact the economy. And, you know, there was a point where um, there were actually more doctors who were wanting to train new doctors than there were new doctors coming in trying to to take on the profession. And, and it um, really poised a very real threat to the German economy. And, um, and, and they, they did something to stop it. They, uh, they estimated um, uh, Walter Ulbricht, who became the president of East Germany, uh, he estimated that the West owed East Ger- yeah, West Germany owed East Germany somewhere around like seven to nine mil- billion dollars uh, because so much of this East trained talent was escaping, fleeing to the West. Right. And so, he started suing them in trivial patent suits. He basically said that they <laughs> held the patent for educated German men, and that's why they owed us so much, uh, owed them so much money. Whatever happened with that podcast lawsuit? <laughs> uh, it's still going on. Go to fundanything.com. Yeah, actually, we should probably promote that because I don't want to get charged for uh, having a podcast. Uh, I think it's. I, I think yeah. Inside jobs is safe for now, but who knows what the future holds. Right. So yeah. go out and buy Podcasts some podcasts that. that make money are in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go out and buy some Adam Carolla Mangria, and uh, that will help support it. Oh, I actually did is, do that. Is I that a re- out, that's a real thing. Is that a that's real his thing. thing. That's his thing, Mangria. Uh, and I felt like I don't really want to contribute to this fund anything thing, but I feel like I should contribute to Carolla so that somehow like he can build up this legal defense fund. So I went out to Bevmo and spent twenty bucks on this Mangria shit. And I had to lie down because it made me so sick. Wow. That sounds like something you'd make up if you're trying to make fun of Adam Carolla. <laughs> well, yeah. Basically what happened is that he would get put his name behind. He like one night, apparently, according to lore, he said that he was drinking wine but wasn't getting fucked up fast enough. So he like poured vodka into it and he's like, oh, this is pretty good. And then he started selling it to, <laughs> to uh, idiots like me, apparently. Sam Gria. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, so uh, all throughout the 50s, there were, you know, the, the East started building up barbed wire, you know, rubble walls and other uh, other boundaries between East and West. And this is all an attempt to prevent this brain drain from happening. And there was, you know, like any good uh, communist nation of this time, there was a lot of propaganda about right. why, why exactly they were preventing people from going to the West. And a lot of this was about, you know, kind of kind of backwards logic thinking where it, the Eastern, the East Berlin uh, or the East German authorities would say stuff like it's to help prevent uh, fascist encroachment into our peace-loving country, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, sort of crazy things like that. That was always their defense as they continued to build up the wall over the next few decades. Was that oh, the wall is for keeping the West out, not from not from keeping you out of the West. Yeah, it was actually when we'll get to it very soon. But the uh, the uh, <laughs> the Berlin Wall, when it eventually was made, its official name by the East Germans was the Anti-Fascist Protection Rampart. Uh, which I th- I think is a pretty good, you know, Soviet-style communist name. That's what your but, roommate calls the door between your room and his room, right? Yeah. That's what anyone calls my pants. Uh, <laughs> God damn you. So we get, to, we get to 1961. America has a new, fresh-faced president, Jack Kennedy. He's out there looking br- tanned. Making the young- most of 
Monroe Doctrine. Yeah, making the most of the Monroe Doctrine. He's looking tan because he was taking medication at the time. He's he's looking forward to the last, getting the most out of the last three years of his life. Uh, and we have the ugly porridge poured into a suit Soviet premier Khrushchev on the other side of the <laughs> of the East and West divide. And... Khrushchev is looking to test this young president and he's, you know, wondering what what can what can he really expect about relations with the West going forward? Yeah. And he had just pwned uh, Kennedy at the uh, Vienna summit in uh, June of 61. So he he was sort of feeling brazen and ballsy about challenging uh, Jack. In, in what way was he uh, was uh, President Kennedy pwned? Uh, they went in and played uh, Call of Duty Black Ops, where in zombie mode you can actually play as uh, Kennedy, and uh, he played as Kennedy and kicked his ass. No, they just had this... 360 uh, con- no scope, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No camping. <laughs> no- hey, uh, Khrushchev, no camping. Or, uh, <laughs> lame noob. Uh, and uh, well, basically, they had this this uh, this summit in Vienna in '61, and uh, there's this footage of uh, uh, Kennedy like walking out of the conference, and he looks totally dazed. A uh, part of that is because he was in, in incredible pain and basically like whacked out on drugs the whole time. Uh, but um, you know, he went in very. Uh, Kennedy went in uh, feeling very confident about his place in the world because he was so pumped up by everyone loving him, and then he realized, you know, what a um, formidable uh, opponent uh, that Khrushchev was going to be. And I think that uh, this really emboldened Khrushchev to, uh, to challenge him, not just intellectually, but, but physically, uh, militarily, politically, sexually, sexually. (laughs) he wanted to fuck Marilyn Monroe too. Yeah. He was like, the Soviet Union needs a Monroe doctrine of our own. He's like, it'll be produced out of shitty. It'll be produced out of shitty metal and will infringe on numerous international copyrights, but damn it, we'll have one. It'll be directed by Sergei Eisenstein. <laughs> but uh, but so uh, around this time, as we said, there's you know the border in Berlin has been growing. There are more enforcements, uh, border crossings, particularly by the East East Germans. Uh, but then in August 1961, during the Berlin Film Festival, what, I, I love that. I love that part of it. Yeah, what happens, Lee? Well, basically, overnight, uh, they build a barrier between East and West Germany. While everyone's kind of like uh, off in, in vacation in August, as people are, are um, want to do in, in Europe, and uh, while people are celebrating the um, you know interne- this uh, Berlin Film Festival, uh, hundreds of soldiers uh, and policemen um, kind of go out into the streets and block off the area. Uh, between uh, East and West uh, Berlin, uh, while a bunch of workers come in in the middle of the night and put literally, up a bunch of literally started at midnight. Yeah, exactly. And by six a.m., when everyone was like woke up, their city was was cut in half, uh, and it was like this this terrifying moment. Um, and at at this point, um, the wall was was very much a hodgepodge of. Uh, mostly uh, barbed wire and eventually they would bring in this kind of hodgepodge of leftover bricks from structures that had been demolished uh, during World War II um, and then you know just other materials that were supposed to be from you know apartment buildings and you know they had like broken glass at the top of these walls um, but it, it was very much a makeshift barrier 
um, very different than the eventual wall that you know we grew up seeing in in the 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 eighties and you know. Uh, people saw during the 70s. Um, but it was just a shocking moment um, to just wake up and have your city just just um, divided. And literally, families were divided because there would be some people who lived in East Germany or East Berlin, rather, but worked in uh, West Berlin. And they just woke up and they couldn't get to their families. They couldn't get to their wives. They couldn't get to their children. They all went through some people's homes. They went, yeah, literally a guy woke up and it was like in a sitcom situation where Oscar was on one side of Berlin <laughs> and, and Felix was on the other side. And he's like, oh, man, East Berlin is so messy. Uh, um, uh, and no one was more shocked than the Western guard that were stationed in Berlin and were really. Who had fallen asleep at their posts. <laughs> and they were really, it was weirdly Beetle Bailey was stationed in Berlin. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was Sarge tired wasn't around. Peeling so many potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, yeah. So these uh, these Western guards are wa- you know stationed at the the border crossings, and they're watching this happen overnight, and they're unsure what to do. Uh, and Kennedy, lay about Playboy Jack Kennedy, was actually on vacation at the time. Uh, he was in the. He was in East Berlin. <laughs> What he was the hell like, is I'm going trapped. On? How do I get back to my job? Yeah, the chick, who, the chick who was blowing him was on the other side of the wall. Um, no, he was actually on vacation in the uh, at the uh, yeah. Kennedy. Uh, uh, <laughs> he was getting Hyannis. blown through the Berlin Wall glory hole. <laughs> uh, actually he this, couldn't see uh, the other side. He didn't realize it was a dude. <laughs> didn't realize it was it was Khrushchev. Um, there actually is a like a, this episode of Eon Flux that's like about this futuristic um, Berlin Wall, and there is like th- there is this like glory hole scene in that where like this dude who gets to the other side is like banging his uh, girlfriend on the other side, and then He's it like randomly making love to. <laughs> Making love to, and then intercut between that, you, you, there's like a weird shot of just sperm going through a tunnel. So, uh, God, I miss the '90s. That's a terrific aside. Thank you. For yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, but but no, he was Kennedy was on vacation, and he was sort of enraged when he heard about this. Uh, but he, you know, later accounts. Uh, especially after you know he died and his administration were writing their memoirs, uh, a lot of these people sort of said that he was happy about it. He was pleased that this wall was going up because it diffused the situation. It, it, it wasn't exactly happy necessarily, but it, it it was a kind of sigh of relief because it was it was something it, was it, bound to happen in Berlin, and you know as he was reported to say, you know, better a wall than a war. Exactly. Uh, and so although everybody was on heightened alert, sort of facing facing this new wall as it was going up from the West, uh, people were, you know, relieved that there wasn't a, a battle breaking out. However, right. no one was sure that a battle or a war wouldn't break out because there was a, a very tense standoff that yeah. happened. The, the tank standoff, right? Yeah. That is 
the tanks, you know, everyone talks about, um, you know, Bay of Pigs and um, the naval quarantine of Cuba during the uh, Kennedy administration. But really, the closest that we got to to uh, World War Three was probably uh, this tank standoff in, in, in 61 shortly uh, thereafter, uh, where basically the um, commander in West Berlin, the American commander, was decided to test the resolve of the the uh, commander on the the eastern side. This and was basically, this, uh, this guy Clay, right, General Clay? Uh, yeah, Cassius Clay. Uh, <laughs> he was unbeatable, uh, and uh, so he, he uh, Muhammad Ali pulled his tanks up to the to the to the 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 wall, and uh, of course the uh, Soviets retaliated and brought their tanks off, and there was this tense forty eight hour standoff where basically take off. What? What? Sorry, I'm just shouting. It's tank off. It's a tank off, right? Um, and they played that little DOS game where you had to uh, calculate uh, the tank. Okay, never mind. Uh, so, um, so basically, uh, you know, if one guy had accidentally pulled on the trigger, the you know, all of uh, Europe would have descended into uh, World War Three. Um, and uh, of course, like in the Cuban Missile Crisis, sort of uh, backdoor communications. Uh, glory hole communications <laughs> occurred between uh, Khrushchev and Kennedy. They defused the situation. Everyone uh, turned around. Uh, and I think that the whole thing started because uh, this uh, Cassius Clay, this Clay guy basically didn't want to show his papers to... Uh, to yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a weird situation because of the terms drawn up between the Allied powers following World War II. Uh, the West did not acknowledge... East Germany as a, a, a state. So they would, say, they would be at the dinner table and they'd be like, would someone tell East Germany to pass the beans? <laughs> it would be like this podcast when I uh, tell Lee to yell at Gene for being late. Um, no, the, uh, the uh, basically the allies were legally dealing with a united Germany in their eyes. It was just that the Soviet Union was administrating uh, the eastern part of Germany. However, the Soviets had created this East German state that was ostensibly an independent country, but was in reality... Uh, it was basically like state. Yeah, it was basically receiving its instructions from Soviet, Soviet apparatchiks uh, under, un, you know... There was there was the surface control and a surface constitution in East Germany, but then there was the secret parts of the constitution and secret controls that were happening, where basically the Soviets were dictating everything that East Germany was allowed to do. It was like that secret constitution between all of the uh, NBA uh, owners that we recently heard about with the uh, that racist guy who uh, got kicked out of the Clippers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lee Golden Senior. <laughs> um but uh but so the the Americans and the West refused to acknowledge East Germany as being allowed to request the papers of any western military or diplomatic official trying to travel into the east. It should so have they been did the, that, uh... It should have been the Soviets who were allowed to check because the Soviets had administration rights, but it was right. this East German, you know, it's basically like uh uh 
I mean, I don't know what it's basically like. It's basically like the thing we're talking about. It's, it's basically <laughs> exactly what you just said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there was this standoff when this uh, this clay tried to enter the East, as was allowed by the agreements between the Allied powers following the war. And the East Germans wanted to check his papers. He refused to submit to any sort of authority that the, gov- the U.S. government didn't recognize. And so there was this tense standoff. Uh, it did, you know, tensions melted away and they were able to pull back, but the Americans didn't do anything as the wall continued to be constructed over the the following years and be- began to become, began to become, began to be a more solidified and complicated structure throughout Berlin. Sure. Um, should we talk a little bit about the evolution of the wall from a technological yeah, I perspective? Think, I think that would be good. Great. So it went from like this kind of hodgepodge of materials um, and, um, you know, leftover bricks and broken glass and such. um, But people were still getting over it because at this time there was a lot of apartment buildings um, and other structures that were right there on the side of the wall. So people could uh, would start just by going through a window, but then they they would uh, brick off the first couple floor windows. uh, And then eventually people would jump off of, you know, out the top windows or jump off the roof and this is actually where the first uh death occurred of someone trying to escape a woman named Ida Siegman who was uh, jumping out of an apartment building and plummeted to her death and you can see also a very famous image of this older woman trying to jump out of an apart- apartment building and the cops on the west side are trying to pull her down and the cops on the uh, east side are trying to pull her up and it became this this uh, symbol symbolic representation of the struggle of the people of Berlin and this poor old woman is getting you know tugged mm-hmm. between them um so they demolished a lot of these uh these buildings um and oh by the way the fire departments on the uh west side would pull out their nets so that people could jump into them um and there's lots of crazy footage of just like all of this activity along the wall um and uh so eventually they they tore down these buildings they kicked people out of their homes um both in like the city but then all across the the frontier as well and they built a more uh solidified concrete structure which was basically these giant 10 foot wide concrete slabs that they would stack up and then there would be these uh these steel supports in between each uh, set of slabs. Um, and they started to build guard towers, um, and uh, the, the concrete was white so that people could be spotted more easily against it. But I guess I would just wear, like, a white suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> You'd wear the Siberian Special Forces uniform from Golden Eyes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The, um, the wall, the, the East Germans built the wall uh, several feet in to East Berlin from the the actual border so that there wouldn't be any accidental encroachment upon West Germany that could spark some sort of fighting. Um, And so the wall was there on, you know, I think it was like 10 feet back or so from the actual border. And then there was raked sand immediately Mm -hmm. behind there. And this was, you know, consistently, um, there was upkeep on this so that any guards, you know, at night when spotlights are going, they could see this raked sand. And if there were footprints on it, it would be much easier to identify and possibly find someone. Right. Then you had a barbed wire, uh, a row of barbed wire. And then in a lot of instances, you would have these, um, gosh, they're called, uh, they're like tank her- uh, obstacles. Oh, uh, exactly. check, check hedgehogs. 
This, yeah, it's uh, you, you've probably seen them like in, in movies about D-Day or footage of D-Day. Yeah. Basically, what there were were um, actual railroad tracks that had uh, kind of been put together like a like an X um, and planted in the ground. And they were to prevent tanks and other such vehicles from from traversing uh, this death strip, as they as they began to call it eventually. And then the, you know, because the Westerners had rights to come into East Berlin and, you know, the Easterners had rights to go into West Berlin and certain people would need to travel between the two sides, they did create six checkpoints along the wall. And the most famous of which was in Friedrichshain, and that was Checkpoint Charlie. It was a, a checkpoint between the American sector and the Soviet sector, basically in the very center of the city. And right, and the the Brandenburg Gate, which is one of the most notable uh, Berlin uh, landmarks, is one of the few landmarks that was actually left standing miraculously uh, after the uh, World War Two. World War Two, uh, and so this this whole area became kind of like this this stage upon which the drama of the Cold War was was played out, and Checkpoint Charlie became one of the most famous hotspots of uh, political intrigue in, in the world, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, as the wall becomes more uh, technologically advanced and the the Easterners are protecting it around the clock with military, uh, Mm -hmm. you start to get, you know, people trying to get across. People who who are in the East who were, for instance, separated by loved ones or were Mm -hmm. facing oppression in the East – uh, who wanted to get into the West, and they had to figure out ways to get across the wall without being shot, without being detected by the Easterners, uh, without being, you know, falling into barbed wire. And it's important to realize that, you know, say you want to get across, and you can figure out, you know, a way to sneak over and get yourself into West West Berlin. You still have to worry about your identity being found out by the Easterners, because then they might harass your entire family, your family. who is left back in the east so right. there are a lot of really scary elements to trying to get across that you know some five thousand people they think attempted to get around so yeah. let's talk and about the, some of these uh some of these cases because this is really you know, where it gets interesting yeah when you're talking about conspiracies these are low-level conspiracies by you know isolated bands of civilians trying to get around these oppressive tactics being used by the Soviets and the East Germans to oppress their people. Yeah, we sort of talked about the high-level conspiracy, which was the actual building of this uh, wall, Um, even Mm -hmm. though uh, Chairman Ulbricht uh, had basically went on TV and said, nope, I'm not going to build the wall. What are you guys talking about? This isn't going to happen. Just lied to everybody and built Mm -hmm. it anyway. So that's the broad conspiracy. And these, as you said, are the small conspiracies. And we should get into these. And I think we should, as we're going through these notable escapes, I think we should go back and talk about the eventual evolution of the wall after a lot of these escapes and just how scary it got. Yeah. Um, now, probably the most famous person who ever was able to escape. Uh, did, Schumann. Yeah, Schumann. Did so kind of on the spur of the moment. It's an amazing moment. And this is in your history books or you know documentaries. This is probably the image that's most memorable of escaping. He's this East German guard who's standing there in his helmet and his uniform with his rifle. And he's being goaded on by the, his counterparts on the, the Western side saying, come on, come on, come on. And basically he goes, fuck it. He starts running. He throws his rifle away, he jumps over the barbed wire, and he makes it over. And there's this amazing image of him jumping over the barbed wire. And there's actually, it's been immortalized as a statue. The Russians had put a trampoline on the other side. (laughs) So Uh he bounced right back into East Berlin. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, he, 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 there's a, this famous image that G, that Lee was talking about and it is, um, per, been perpetuated as a symbol of the kind of spirit of the Eastern East Berliners or East Germans were called Ossis, which is like uh, a, a diminutive form of Easterner in German. And the people in the West were called Vessis. And it's this Aussie spirit that, you know, wants to come over to the West and wants to embrace freedom. Uh, he kind of had a shitty time of it. Yeah, um, his life was not very great afterwards. Al- although he did meet and marry a woman while he lived in uh, West Germany. Oh, lucky. Yeah, Germany, Marilyn he, Monroe. He got to get married. <laughs> he eventually uh, ha- com- killed, killed himself in the 90s, uh, well after the reunification of Germany. Um, mm. So that's kind of... Sad, yeah. but uh, move in with his wife. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Did you ever hear a nag like that? Um, my favorite story. Uh, there's two of my favorite stories are the Mueller family and the Kruger family. Yeah, and let's go into the, that that one. So Rudolf Mueller um, was this guy who worked on the. Uh, he worked. He lived in the East with his his wife and his two children, but he worked in the West. And so when the wall went up, he was trapped on the, the – he was at work and so he was trapped on the, the west side um, and uh, was away from his family, uh, his immediate family of wife and children, but also his two brothers and their wives and children. So the two – so the, 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 the wife, she was under constant surveillance by the Stasi who were the secret police uh, and basically they went to her and said – you're never going to make it out. We know who your husband is. You're never going to see him again. Uh, and this was a typical story. There's lots of people who were married and people who had fiancés or girlfriends. Uh, there's a famous story of a guy who tried to stick his girlfriend into a VW bug under the gas uh, tank and get her out, but she freaked out and didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, so Rudolph's brothers, these two, his two brothers, mm-hmm. they, um, they figure out that the subways – the subways actually connect East and West Berlin, but they just don't stop in East Berlin anymore. So it's this kind of as you were going on the subway station, you would just go through these ghost um, stations in Eastern uh, Berlin where no one was there. So these guys made like a makeshift key to the subway tunnel. They broke into the subway tunnel and they all crawled down the, the ladder with their, their, their children and their wives. Uh, they got into the tunnel. They waved down the first train that came in. Thank God they weren't hit or anything. The the people, the West Berliners in the train, knew immediately what was going to do. They were trying to do. They opened up the doors. They got everybody in there, and they they dispersed the family all cr- throughout the train. Okay, one kid sit over here. One woman sit over here. One man sit over here. So you know, if anyone spotted them, they they wouldn't uh, look like the description of this family. They made it out. And well, they had uh, to, the the train continued through five more east station eastern stations where east eastern guards are posted waiting for just this sort of thing. The exactly. train is going slowly through these stations, and the guards are peering in the windows to look on oh the lookout gosh. for people who are trying to escape. Right, and then they get to that uh, part in the Universal tour where uh, it, it simulates an earthquake, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Jaws popped out, and the kids are yeah. screaming. <laughs> I know, so terrifying. Um, and so eventually they make it out, and the uh, you know 
uh, Mueller, the older brother, tells the story. If he opens the door and uh, he just sees his brothers and he just can't believe it and he starts to cry. He decides and, to go back. Decides, <laughs> he's like, oh, fuck, my brothers. What I had the think? perfect excuse to not see these people. <laughs> um, but, of course, you know, they couldn't get the wife out. And so the brothers say, like, don't worry, we're going to get your wife and kids out. And so – it's so crazy that they finally make it out, and the first thing they do is let's dig a hole. Let's dig a tunnel under the wall from this like leftist newspaper to some construction site. It's like they uh, get out, and it's like we need to do one more job. Yeah, <laughs> we gotta <laughs> assemble the Chinese acrobat, the old guy, <laughs> the guy who's good at pickpocketing, the Matt Damon. Heist. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like Escape from New York. Uh, breaking out is impossible. Breaking in is insane. Um, <laughs> but they have to get President Donald Pleasance, who for some reason is British. Um, so they, they build this tunnel and they do it in shifts. And, uh, you know, it's this nightmare of, of digging, digging a tunnel. If anyone's seen like The Great Escape, you know how horrible and claustrophobic that can be. Um, and, you know, Charles Bronson is just freaking out. So they make it over. And Rudolph is about to uh, get out of the uh, – about to go through the tunnel and he's going to meet up with his wife and kids and a couple other families too. And uh, as he's leaving, one of the guys says, you know, Rudolph, take this gun. And he's like, all right, I, I guess. And he takes the gun and he goes over. And they think that maybe the other families betrayed them and told the guards or something So because he gets over there. Gets his family, and then this uh, young guard comes up and asks for his papers. Um, and the um, the young guard, you know, holds up his AK and basically says, "Give me your papers! Give me your papers!" The kids and the wife keep walking, and you know, there's kind of some debate as to what exactly happened here. Um, Errol Morris should make a movie about it, but <laughs> Rudolph pulls out his gun and shoots this guy. And um, they make it out and, you know, they're crawling through the tunnels and these other guards start shooting. And some people say that the, the shot that the Mueller actually did wasn't the guy, wasn't the shot that killed him. And it was the guards or something like that. They come in to the tunnel as the kids and the wife are like trying to crawl through. They're shooting AKs down through the tunnel. And since the, the, the tunnel was was shaped in a way that um, they uh, like, a, like a, it went down. Immediately, right. so they were able to go down immediately, and these shots were hitting the wall the above dirt, their yeah. head. Exactly, gosh, and it's just so incredible that they made it out. But of course, you know, Mueller was just a, a family man. He wasn't a he was a baker, I believe, and he wasn't a killer or anything. And so this haunted him to this this day that this, this poor kid he had to kill him. And you know, I, if I was in that scenario, I I think that I would probably make the same decision. I mean, if you're someone, I don't even have of, to be in that scenario to shoot a child. <laughs> You're like I've always just wanted to shoot a young German soldier for the pure sexual charge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Getting hard just thinking about it. So on the the east side, of course, you know this is a, this is a tale of oh look how evil these these west these people who want to go to the west are. You know, they're awful so awful. Fascists. This is why we need a wall. Exactly, and then on the 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 west side, of course, he's embraced as this hero. Um, years later, in the late '90s, he was put on trial, uh, and he was, I think, a initially convicted of manslaughter and given like a one-year sentence, which was later um, commuted to uh, uh, probation. But then eventually, the charge was like was changed to murder, or the 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 conviction was changed to murder, but he but his uh, sentence didn't change. So you know, basically, he got off. 
off with a you know like a a weak slap on on the wrist. So it's a very interesting story. But uh, he's still alive today, and they interview him a lot. And um, it's kind of my favorite little little conspiracy is the is the Mueller family. Yeah, but that I mean, this escape while it is pretty dramatic, it isn't even the most dramatic. Yeah, uh, kind of crazy attempt to get out of the uh to get out of the east um do you want to talk about <laughs> the uh the family that sewed an air balloon <laughs> yes okay so these guys they sewed this balloon. this is like this is like some shitty 60s adventure movie that you would like watch on disney on like yeah, saturday exactly. I afternoon like, i feel like henry mancini like wrote a song with hal david lyrics uh, <laughs> and so these guys they they uh they sew this um they sew this balloon because they, they you know basically as the wall started to uh every time someone would escape of course the the counter the 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 stasi and the the germans would uh or the east germans would come up with counter you know uh, for for instance in the in the very initial period in like 1961 uh the they were putting up a wall, but there are sewers that go all over the city. And so the Germans sent a patrol of East German soldiers to go down into the sewers and inspect, you know, make sure nobody's down there. Uh, they never oh, returned. <laughs> yeah, they just bounced out. Yeah, so they realized, oh, we need to wall up the sewer system. And so they would go down and put in bars to prevent people from going, you know, from east to yeah. west via the, initial the sewer wall system. didn't even didn't even have a foundation basically it was just held up by its own weight yeah. um and, and as you said yeah a lot of guards would defect and um, this is kind of a side note but the guard culture is one of the most interesting parts of this whole story because there was like this crazy indoctrination it was essentially this cult they, and they, they, it was just like a bunch of guys that would follow the wall wherever it went seeing mm -hmm. the wall over 30 times in a summer and yeah, <laughs> and they would they would put Stasi among the guards so you weren't, and they would put you with some random guy so you wouldn't like build up a kinship and you didn't know is he a spy? And the other guy would think you know is he a spy? Did he fart? Was it, it was I didn't fart? Um, and they would have these crazy things where like you when the guards changed, like one guard couldn't go while the other one stayed. Like they both had to go at the same time. And, um, you know, they, they, there was all this indoctrination and they had, they checked the backgrounds. It was like the complete opposite of uh, how they hire TSA agents at airports. <laughs> um, so, and we'll, I think we'll get into the Kruger family a little bit when to hear a good story about, um, guards hey, escape. But, uh, but, you know, <laughs> but, uh, quickly, uh but yeah, so the, the, there were all these different defenses would go up as each, you know, each uh, escape attempt either play, uh, succeeded or failed. And so this family decided, well, one place that they can't get us is high in the air. Yeah, because uh, the, 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 the protocol was you could shoot on sight. Um, and you could shoot to kill if you were a guard member. Um, but if there was some sort of aerial um, object that was identified, um, you had to call to get orders as to what to do. So there was this window that you could fly something like a balloon over the, the, the barrier and you – you wouldn't get fired on until they got their their orders, and that's what these people were banking on. So they sewed this balloon, and the first time they do it, they get shot down, right? 
and they they're, they're not sure where they are and then they look up and they see trip wires and um, when we get back to the construction of the wall itself we'll talk about these trip wires um, but they knew that they were on the the east side and so they leave the balloon they run back this local policeman finds the balloon but he doesn't tell anyone that he found the balloon because he like doesn't want to get involved in any of this bullshit so later they the the uh stasi find the balloon and they start hunting down the family and meanwhile the family is um working on the second balloon and it's just like crazy story of like you know the stasi is basically going door to door in their neighborhood sniffing out who it is as they're stitching away you know hour by hour in the night and finally they they do it again um and it's super dangerous because it's like not this very good balloon and they almost like burn themselves up. But eventually they they make it over. And, you know, the family has this one of them had this famous quote, which, you know, you don't understand. We, I thought we did it for the show. What? If the, it don't, it, the famous quote is, I thought we did it for the show. Oh, <laughs> that was a that was a that was a pretty deep cut. That was how the balloon boy gave away that it was a <laughs> hoax perpetrated by his father. Oh, balloon boy. Uh, okay. Balloon boy. <laughs> that was a deep cut. Like, hashtag 2011. Yeah, like five. Who knows? The whole world has forgotten about balloon boy, except for Brian, who thinks about him every day. <laughs> Just he pints away. He's waiting till he's 18. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so sorry, okay. there's this famous quote. Where they said, you know, you don't, you don't know what it's like to be, if you've been free all of your life, you, you'll never know how that felt. Um, and then again, countermeasure right after this happened, the, uh, in East Berlin, they, I think they banned nylon or whatever it was that they yeah. used to make the, um, to make the balloon. So that's a, that's a crazy story. My, my other favorite is the, the Kruger family though. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the older brother Ingo is a guard. <laughs> and, um, so this is like a three part, like a three act story. So there's these three brothers and they're these young adventurous kind of guys. And the first one's a guard. So him and his buddy, they sneak across the Elba river um, and they use blow up mattresses. So it, again, this seems like a Disney afternoon, like, all right, man, come on, Ingo, let's blow up our mattresses and go across the Elba River. So they paddle down the, they paddle across the river and the, the river has a very strong current. Um, so if they didn't have these, they probably would have got swept up and been killed or caught. So they make it across. Um, but then the second brother, um, him and another buddy, they have this even crazier scheme where basically they dress up like construction workers. They build a bow and arrow and make the bow and arrow look like a, um, uh, like rods. some, like <laughs> like curtain rods, right? But it didn't fit under their elbow, um, <laughs> and they make it look like some construction equipment. This is like so Mission Impossible. Yeah, James this Bond. is really like here's your gadgets to. And I see here, Devil Seven. This might look like ordinary curtain rods, but it's actually a high powered uh, thing to get across the Berlin Wall. So they shoot the arrow across the Berlin Wall, and so there's like this metal cable in between, and then they have these two pulleys. So Ingo's brother, like pulleys across like zip lines across the, the, the berlin wall um it's just like then, when you're uh, younger and you're playing with gi joes and yeah. you get some kite string and you uh, go to the second floor of your house and tie it down on the first floor and then just have your joes zip line down it's nice. basically that but uh but in real the, guys <laughs> in the dangerous context of the cold war of oh, they might get killed <laughs> so so the brothers pulley like stops like a few meters away from the end and so which like, also as... happened every time you would do it with your gi joes yeah exactly <laughs> 
It's like you, you couldn't write stories this good. So, and then the, the other guy, he's mm-hmm. writing the pulley down. So the brother is like, "Oh shit, I gotta like, I gotta get off the pulley." So he's climbing across the the wire, just like inching his way forward. As because the other on the guy, other side of the rope, Kevin is threatening to cut the cord with big hedge clippers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So he manages to get across, and he, you know, has this, you know, joyful, uh, you know, uh, meeting with his brother Ingo, and um, the other guy makes it across too, and it's just like, all right, but we still have one more brother. We need to make it across. So then their plan gets even crazier. So they 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 get these like two planes that are basically like Wright brothers planes, like ultralights, or is what they're called. They're uh, exactly essentially gliders. Uh, Again, it's like this James Bond ass shit, yeah. and they paint they paint them with like red stars, so they look like Russians, Russian planes. So again, they're banking on this window where the the guards have to call their you know their uh, uh, commanders to see if they can shoot down these planes. So they uh-huh. fly the two planes across the place where they're going to land. It turns out that there's a fucking circus. That they weren't planning on. <laughs> Again, you can't write shit this crazy. So they land like in the middle of the circus. They get the third brother. They load him up on the on one of the the gliders, the ultralights, and then they fly back over and they fucking make it. And these three brothers are just like the, <laughs> the most like badass dudes. Uh, and uh, their their story is just uh, just amazing. And you really have to focus on these wonderful stories mm-hmm. because. Um, sorry, let me turn this off. Uh, because you know it's such a tragic thing, and you know, you know, 130 people died, thousands of people were arrested and tortured, and uh, God knows how many people were killed that we don't even know about. Didn't didn't, uh, didn't Ingo actually end up dying when he went back to save someone else? No, Ingo's alive. I I think I think he did die. Really? No, I saw like an interview with him. Maybe there was another person named Ingo Kruger, <laughs> but no, I'm actually looking at this website right now that shows that he died. Really? Yeah, because he went back for his fiance, and he had this like crazy diving equipment under his suit, and the diving equipment failed when he was trying to swim under a river. Yeah, yeah weird. He, he died. I thought I saw an interview with him. Maybe it was one of the other brothers. Maybe it was but... one of the other brothers. But thanks for ruining my fucking day. I love these guys. Sorry, but uh, but what one thing I thought was cool is that you know they sent back the ultralight components back to East Germany because it's like their property and. They were graffitied with, uh, you know, like, wish you were here kind of yeah, sayings, it's, it's which crazy. is pretty cool. We'll, we should get into graffiti later. Uh, do you want to bounce back and sort of talk about the eventual uh, Berlin Wall and how fucking crazy it was? Yeah, so eventually the the Eastern authorities realized that, you know, so many people were trying to escape. They really had to make this, you know, as technologically advanced as they could because when it comes to anti-fascist ramparts, you know, the Germans are the ones to look to. Um, but, uh, no, you, uh, you, uh, basically eventually you have these, these cement sections of the wall, which Why are about, you have to make it sound like semen. Oh boy. They're about, you know, three, three foot across and about a foot deep and it's, uh, L shaped concrete. So the, the L, portion is facing into the east and then goes up 
Um, right. And the reason why it's L-shaped is to prevent people from driving through. Because if you drive into this L, it just kind of collapses onto your vehicle. Because right. there was this one dude, uh, I think his name was Wolfgang Engels or something. And this dude was a soldier. And he saw he had some friends that had an APC, an armored personnel carrier that they were in charge of. And he kind of went up and asked him, like, hey, uh, so how does this work? Okay, so that's the gear shift. Okay, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, thanks for showing me. And then the, the guys who were in charge of the APC are like, hey, we're going to go get some dinner uh, you want to come wolfgang and he's like oh, no i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna hang out just gonna you know i'll get some I'll, I'll catch up with you guys later fucking hops in to the apc gears it up and just starts fucking going for it he just drives through and like he's being chased and like he just drives right through the fucking wall and he's he gets shot to shit yeah and he's like kind of it, coming in and out of consciousness and he wakes up in a bar where, and he's like looking around. He's like, where the fuck am I? And he looks up on the wall and he sees like Coca-Cola and yeah. <laughs> all of these products. And he's like, fuck yeah, I made it. Cause it, it's just funny that like, that the, the, all the capitalist shit that he sees all over the place, all this crap that we take for granted and make fun of is like, what made him know that he had made it? And, but he was shot to shit. And there's this great picture of him like lying in the hospital bed and he's just like so fucked up and like <laughs> wrapped up in all these bandages. But he's got like this awesome gleam on his face. He's like, I don't care. I'm free. I don't care if I'm shot to shit. But his mom was like a really staunch communist. And uh, so she like disowned him. So again, all these, these stories are like, they're, they're great. They're but then it's like, uh, it's kind of fucking. The sad. first thing he did was order a Coca Cola, but they were like, "Is Pepsi okay?" <laughs> he said, "Fuck <laughs> this," and went back. Um, Jeans is like lying there for an hour, leads up to make a dick joke and then a Pepsi Cola joke. I love you so much, man. Oh. Sorry, I'm coming in and out of consciousness, <laughs> just waking up and seeing Jack Daniels bottle. And the muscle relaxant kicks in. Um, so. At- at this point, yeah, so there's these L-shaped things. Um, and then and- the, the wall is topped, uh, you know, each section of the wall is put next to others to create a, uh, a long, unbreakable wall. But then the top is surrounded by pipe. Uh, it's yeah. a huge, you know, I think it was like 18 inches in diameter pipe. And yeah. the idea was that it would be harder to get a handhold and get yourself over if you, you know, were able to get to the wall and, and try to climb it. Yeah, it was impossible you to climb Use my penis as a mold for the pipe. <laughs> so it was very small. All right. Um, All right. So... So this was the side of the wall that like everyone on the west side saw. They just we think of the Berlin Wall as this wall, but there was so much more to it. Yeah, that was hundred like a hundred meters from yeah. the wall into the east. Was that was the, the last thing that you saw? That was the end of it. Basically, yeah. There's just there's uh, the raked sand as we discussed. There's trenches. There's trenches. dogs. Barbed wire guard houses, and then there a crocodile are crocodile pit. <laughs> it's basically like Frogger. <laughs> Thus Frogger. And the thing the whole thing is like lit up, so it's like bright as day. Like yeah. it's, and uh, then there's also these these beds of nails that were like eighteen inches like high or twelve inches high or some crazy shit like that. And they call them like Stalin grass or like Stalin lawn. Um and basically you were just like foot would just get impaled if you tried to walk across them. They had those, uh, then they had barbed wire and the barbed wire, basically when you touched it, it would set off an alarm and, um, a silent alarm though. 
um, so that they knew you were there. There was these tripwires that would turn on lights. There were landmines in there until the mid-80s where they actually traded – the East uh, Berlin traded some prisoners for money and loans in exchange for getting rid of these landmines. Um, and then there was also these crazy tripwire guns where you would basically just like – walk over a wire and like get shot by this like automatic gun yeah that 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 sort of zone in the wall construction was called the death strip right it's you know kind of obvious because it basically it was so hard to even attempt Mm. to to go through you know that area to even get to the wall yeah uh now you know because the wall of inch spoiler the wall came down what? Uh, um, but they did have plans, Lee, uh, didn't they? Yes. To even get crazier sophistication yes. with like lasers. Yeah, I. <laughs> it's basically uh, the was... Star Wars of East Germany. I, I hope someone makes like I hope like Harry Turtledove has made some sort of alternate history story where this actually uh, happened. So basically, there was going to be laser detection. So basically. Um, you would walk across and like fucking like entrapment laser beams would catch Catherine Zeta Jones's butt while Sean Connery looked on. Um, and, um, va, va, voom. Va, va, voom. And like these cameras would pop up when the lasers came. And then there's also going to be like, like sensors that would sense when you like stepped on it. So it was basically going to be like even more advanced than the wall was in that, um, on flux story i was talking about earlier um but of course um the the momentum of the political momentum in uh east uh, uh berlin um really started to move to a point where it just became untenable for uh the 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 gdr uh, german democratic republic to maintain this shit and a lot of it the the um sort of re- revolutionary element um of the gdr they would meet in churches because the uh, the 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 head of the, of the GDR basically said, um, you know, we'll let some of these we'll 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 kind of uh, be lax on these on church groups to kind of prove that churches are are bullshit um, and let people get together. But then these churches became these bastions of uh, of you know sort of. Uh, progressive politics and it would start with simple things like you know environmental rights because uh berlin the 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 east german uh, people realized very quickly that they were in a horribly polluted uh place and the, the country wasn't taking very good care of the environment and eventually these groups kind of swelled and swelled um to this point where shortly after the tiananmen square disaster these thousands of people took to the streets and this was and, this was a trend that was going on all over uh, Eastern Europe um, in Poland. And, Poland and certainly Czech, the Czechoslovakia. Um, there were, um, you know, really sort of one of the things that uh, predicated um, the uh, the situation that's about about to arise in our story in Berlin is that the Czechoslovakia opened its borders with Austria, and Czechoslovakia was in eastern bloc state and austria was a you know westernized democracy and so <laughs> all these east germans could go into czechoslovakia free of travel because they're traveling within the eastern bloc and then mm-hmm. they could suddenly go south and escape into austria right and- they would vacation they would go on these one-way vacations and there's on the border there would be these these trees where hanging on the trees would be people's keys 
car keys, house keys, apartment keys, workshop keys, office keys. And it was the symbol of freedom is so important to us that we'll just leave behind everything, everything we own. We have. Yeah. And, and uh, this became this became such a, you know, it's obviously there's a broader thing going on. And that's, you know, the uh, the the with, loosening the glasnost and perestroika that with, uh, uh, Gorbachev, Gorbachev, Gorbachev is instituting in the East. Um and it's interesting that like at this time Gorbachev when you look historically like like Gorbachev is like the guy who's loosening things and like Ronald Reagan is the fucking hardliner. Yeah. <laughs> and like Gorbachev's like trying to kind of loosen things up and then like basically Ronald Reagan goes and says his famous like uh, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall and is just kind of being a dick. And they interview Gorbachev they interviewed Gorbachev years later and he's like they're interviewed about his reaction. He's like, basically, no one at the Politburo like really gave a shit what Reagan was saying because he was just a fucking bullshit cowboy actor, and he can go fuck himself. Um, <laughs> um, but the you know this whole movement that's going on in the East is starting to uh, put a lot of pressure on the East German authorities. Um, the 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 protest movements are starting where people are demonstrating, and this has never happened. You know. The famous the famous protests and demonstrations that had happened in the East were, you know, like the Prague summer of 1968 or the uh, Hungarian re- revolution in 1956, which were crushed by military, yeah. uh, you know, the Soviet military. And so there was, you know, demonstrations that weren't being crushed and demonstrations that were going forward, you know, semi-peacefully, not only in East Berlin, but in a lot of other uh, locations all throughout uh, the Eastern Bloc. And so as this thaw is happening and people are demonstrating more, and then, as we said, those people are able to escape into Austria, East Germany is, you know, well, they attempt to uh, sort of soften their image. Uh, as uh, Lee said, they they opened up the churches, but they also uh, decided to appoint as the um, uh, what is it? The it was like the mayor of Berlin or some sort of some sort of East German official they appointed who was going to have a friendly relationship with the press, and he was hold he was to hold several press conferences daily where he would speak to the press and say, you know, some of the uh, things that were going on in East Germany that were intended to be, uh, you know, opening sort of glasnost-esque activities. And And his name was Condoleezza Rice. (laughs) The... Uh, this guy was appointed to the uh, Socialist Unity Party in Germany, and he was appointed to give these press conferences. And his name was Gunter Schabowski. And he's giving. God bless these... you. Exactly. He was giving Big these. Schabowski. <laughs> he's giving these press conferences. Uh, as... Saying this aggression won't stand, man. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's announcing these sorts of uh, relaxed. Uh, policies and right before he's about he was doing them in uh, sunglasses and like he would just show up in a hawaiian shirt and he would lean back in his chair put his hands on his head and go and talk about uh, glass nose and uh so he's yeah. doing he's about to go out to give this press conference and he's handed this note that says um you know it's a very hastily scrawled note but the uh, the night before uh, the uh, administrators of East Berlin had decided that they would allow, you know, a low amount of supervised border crossings from east to west. 
And their plan was to do this sometime in the future. And they were going to, you know, basically allow a handful of people to go from east to west. But that was it. But they hand them this note that basically says uh, the border crossing is will open. And so he gets this note and he's giving this press conference and it gets to the end and he just reads the note aloud. And yeah, the, and someone asked, like, uh, so when's this going to happen? And he says, Zovort, which is German for immediately. Uh, and this press conference is covered by the major Western um, uh, major Western press as well. And so they start broadcasting MTV it. News, yeah. Nick News, Weekly Update. And so all these East Germans are watching Kurt Loder say that this guy Schabowski said that the border crossings will be you know, effectively torn down. (laughs) And so they pour out into the streets. They go to the border crossings and these guards there, because this is basically an accident. These guards there have no idea what they're supposed to do, but thousands and thousands of East Berliners have come and they're demanding passage to the West. And the guards arrest some people and some of them like stamp uh, passports, basically saying like, You're never allowed to cross into the West. But then after a couple hours, guards all across the wall just basically give up and they raise the bars on these border crossings and East Berliners start flooding into West Berlin. There's this great footage of this woman saying, like, my mom is on the other side to, like, one of the guards. Like, can I please go? And the guy's like, yeah, fuck it. And then she kisses him and then, like, leaves. And it's, you know, you can see coverage of it. Huge, huge levels of sort of spontaneous outpouring of joy and East and West Berliners jumping on the wall and singing, bringing out sledgehammers and they start, you know, dismantling the wall. Uh, The famous cellist uh, Rostropovich appeared and he started giving an impromptu concert. Um, All of these people just descended on Berlin and it was, you know, essentially at that moment, East Berlin and East, the East German government ceased to exist. And yeah, it's crazy. it was, you know, crazy. I, um, I lived in Germany for a while and, uh, you know, when you would talk to Germans about this moment and, and a lot of these people were about my age. So like, uh, you know, they were, they were pretty young when this happened and this is November, 1989, by the way. Yeah. Um, they were breaking down the wall cause they heard that Batman was coming up, uh, and they wanted to see it. <laughs> but so like, I remember two stories, like anecdotes, uh, very specifically. And there was this, um, this guy I knew Michael, uh, Michael, and he lived on the West and he said, he remembers, uh, I would talk to him in English cause he wanted to practice his English. And he was telling me the story and he's like, I, I'm seeing this wall coming down and these people coming over and I'm not sure how to say this in English, but is it okay to say it was the happiest moment of my life? <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. And then I, what a cutie pie. I knew this girl, uh, Christina and she was from the East and she had lived there on the East the whole time. And I was like, well, what, you know, when the wall fell, what did you do? And she said her entire family got into, uh, their car uh, and they, they went to McDonald's. They drove. No, literally, they drove to the West. And during this time, uh, the Western German government would pu- would provide like 50 Deutschmarks to every Easterner who came over. Exactly. Uh, it's like greeting money is what it was called. And they they crossed over. They got $50. They went to the mall and she got her first Barbie. 
Yes. <laughs> and that yes. is that is her memory of the wall falling. So folks, that's why we do this. That's why we do this, right, America? So that yeah. fucking chicks can come out and get freedom and then start hating their bodies immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but it it was this huge international focus on Berlin and on Germany as East Ber- East Germany basically dissolved. Um now the re- I love, the I love reuni- reaction to all this stuff. The reunification process was very complicated, and there's still problems going on to this day. But it basically took about a year until October 3rd for Germany to officially reunify uh, and become, you know, the Federal Republic of Germany as opposed to uh, East and West. It's all thanks to the angels winning the pennant. And making them a family again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, the legacy of reunification and the legacy of the wall is still very present in Berlin. Uh, In East Germany or in East Berlin, unemployment is still much higher than it is in the West. And a lot of Westerners are really, to this day, still upset that the tax dollars that they pay are going towards, you know, financial rejuvenation of a part of the country that, you know, isn't giving back as much. Uh, and so while there are all these happy stories of families being reunited, uh, people are upset by the financial reality, which is that Germany, you know, still suffers from high unemployment in the East compared to the West. And the East doesn't have as much technological advancement. And, you know, the, a lot of buildings are run down in the West or in the East and all sorts of things like that. The, the Barbies don't have as good of outfits. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, you know, Germany has, a, has advanced a lot over the, you know, 20 plus years since uh, reunification. And, but the wall still exists in certain places. This is mostly done as a memorial. Or yeah. if you go to places like the Reagan library in California, there's a slab of the wall to represent, you know, his, tear down this wall speech and his effect on that and at the cia headquarters there's like a piece of it too yeah i remember in middle school uh my teacher my social studies teacher had this like a glass you know those plastic eggs that you would get out of a machine and it had like a couple crumbles of the wall in it nice and that was like a weird i guess memorial that you can buy but checkpoint charlie has been turned into a private museum it's a whole uh, museum dedicated to the history of the wall and the people who died or succeeded in their escapes uh, from East There's a urinal in Vegas where you can piss on the Berlin Wall, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's true. That's one, of, true. Uh, one of the most famous things is the East Side Gallery. And this is a long stretch of the wall in Berlin that has been preserved specifically because of the graffiti that was put up on it. Uh, because the the East Germans only really cared about what was going on on their side of the wall, they didn't really care what was going on on the Western side. Graffiti artists all over the West would paint, you know, messages of hope, uh, outraged political slogans. Uh, there's a really famous portrait of uh, Honecker kissing uh, the uh, Soviet um, uh, yeah, Soviet I premier. I love that painting. Um, there but, was this guy named Te- uh, Thierry Noir who was like this street artist who uh, would make these like weird mutated people and um, like dinosaurs and shit. And like he t- continues to this day to do art projects. They they like people who own parts of the wall. They find him and they they bring him out to do like recreations of his art on the pieces of the wall. Like there's a cafe in New York where there's a piece of the wall. So it's mm-hmm. like this. It's kind of kind of weird the parts that exist. So the the wall came down, Germany was reunited, 
the Soviet Empire fell. Um, but I think in sort of conclusion to the story, we need to uh, take one step back and go to uh, the 60s when Kennedy visited the wall and gave his fam- famous Ich bin ein Berliner speech. And, he basically said, I am a very specific type of pastry. Uh, the That is not true. That is a oh, really? crazy urban legend that does not make any sense. Oh, okay. Um, so but, he actually said, I am a person from Berlin. I, I Yeah, and it's uh, – people claim that the reason that it sounds like in German that he's saying he's a jelly donut is because when you say where you're from – or like where your residence is, you exclude the article. So you would you say, say like, I am ich bin Berliner. But um, the use of Ein is, uh, is totally fine in instances where you're trying to highlight the place mm. of residence. So it's just like a forceful way of saying it. But it's yeah. also useful in, uh, you know, hypothetical uh, statements so it's like doubly appropriate so also he's like some he's like some fucking guy from uh from uh, massachusetts like yeah his gonna, accent would, is terrible <laughs> so basically he, he actually he goes, pronounces the latin he also pronounces latin in that speech uh and he pronounces it much better like he says Kuis <laughs> instead of civis which most people would say anyway so that so, that is a that is a urban legend that you can oh, okay. you know but it's this famous Take. moment where he basically says, like, you guys are this bastion of freedom um, in the uh, communist world. And, you know, I'm proud in, in, you know, every free person is basically like you. Every free person is a Berliner. And I'm proud to say that I'm a Berliner um, is basically what he says. Yeah. And it's interesting because since the fall of the wall, Berlin has become, you know, much less important uh, focus of international events. Um, but I, I think people are still proud to say Ich bin ein Berliner if they can. Uh, so you the, certainly are, you fucking Nazi. Oh God, fucking so hard. Um, <laughs> so let's go. So I think uh, the 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 Berlin Wall, the creation of the Berlin Wall, and a lot of these plans to escape. Uh, it's definitely signs signs of an inside job, um, especially that Kruger family. Because one of them was a guard, or the, was it the Mueller family? I'm confused now. Oh, uh, the, uh, the no, the yeah, you're right, the Krugers. The Krugers, Fred, yeah, that, the, uh, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, well, Freddy Krueger was a guard, and he was able to escape into the West by going through a Westerner's dream and uh, coming out on the other side. Uh, <laughs> but Lee, uh, Berlin Wall, inside job or not? Inside fucking job. And then, Gene, I know your back is hurting and you're laid up, but have you been paying attention at all? <laughs> what yes. do you think? I do not think it was an inside job. I think Mr. Kruger was just really that incompetent and ran his company into the ground. I think we're going <laughs> to start calling you Coco, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> no! T-Bone! <laughs> But uh, but thank you so much for doing all this research, Lee, and, and leading us in this very interesting story. Um, there's a ton of information out there about the Berlin Wall, but if you do ever happen to go to Berlin, Checkpoint Charlie Museum is a really wonderful place, as is the East Side Gallery. And uh, mm-hmm. the East Side Gallery is an open-air museum, obviously, uh, because the wall is out sort of standing free in the rain as it was um but you can go there and you can get a stamp in your passport that shows that you you know a similar to what you would have gotten crossing between 
from west to east in uh, what it's like to sit through customs <laughs> children uh, need to know that life is fucking disappointment and please god go onto youtube and watch the video of david hasselhoff singing at the berlin wall god, it's like he's actually been looking like a, for freedom and he has found it it's yeah it's the song looking for freedom. it's actually like a really inspiring beautiful moment he's wearing a scarf that's shaped like a like a guitar basically and uh it's great <laughs> I'm, uh, I've long been a Hasselhoff apologist, a Hasselhoffologist. The, there's also a great uh, hour and a half. You don't have to watch the whole thing. There's an hour and a half YouTube where uh, Leonard Bernstein went to uh, Berlin in December, so like a month after all this was going on, and he conducted a performance of uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the Ode to Joy. Um, and it's Brian, a... please, he prefers to be called the maestro. <laughs> <laughs> you know Hashtag from private Seinfeld. correspondence that he, uh, he did perform prefer to be called the maestro um but so the maestro conducts this international orchestra and and choir from people you know from the soviet union from germany east and west and england and america and it's an entire performance of uh, the ode to joy except for the word joy um Freude has been replaced for this one instance by the german word for freedom freiheit and uh, it's nice. a really moving rendition of uh, of the ode to joy especially the chorale so, also, awesome book, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Yeah, awesome um, movie, too, with Richard Burton. Oh, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's a, If you want to kind of get an idea of the early days of the Berlin Wall and what it was like and the Stasi and everything, it's a very cool movie and a really awesome book. Uh, but, yes, thank you so much, Lee, for helping us out with this topic. Uh, sure. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to our Berlin episode. Uh, we heard uh, a lot of great things about our crack episode last uh, last time, so thank you very much to anyone. We got that. a bunch of new listeners who just like were searching crack on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us about this episode, please do so. You can contact us on Twitter at Inside Jobscast. You can visit our website InsideJobscast.com, or you can email us InsideJobscast at gmail.com. Um, in two weeks, we'll be back with a new episode. It is the continuation of my series on secret societies, and we will be, co- be covering the Freemasons. If you haven't been killed by the Freemasons yet. Yeah, I hope fucking not. I just bought a book, so there's a <laughs> paper, a there's, there's a paper trail on it. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening. We will be back in two weeks. Until then, follow the welcome money. Okay. One morning in June, some 20 years ago, I was born a rich man's son. I had everything that money could buy, but freedom I had none. I've been looking for freedom. Uh, hold on, sorry. Was it Stalin who instituted this, or was it Khrushchev? Jesus Christ, Brian. Yeah, had, for some reason... It had to be Stalin, right? It had to be Stalin. For some reason, I started thinking I had it wrong. Anyway, sorry. Um, Do you even know who the babe is? <laughs> sorry, let me go to thebabe.com. Um, <laughs> uh...